She uses her notebooks like an artist uses a sketchbook, writing down any large or minor detail that happens to catch her eye. This can be a hand, a face, a bottle, a branch, or anything. Sometimes she draws in her notebook if there isn't enough time to write, trying to capture the essence of whatever object fascinated her so that when the time is ripe for writing, it could be revisited. These details begin their life as disjointed bits and pieces, but over time, many of them find their way into one of her books, where they bloom and connect with other seemingly disjointed pieces. Donna Tartt reached popularity with her debut novel seemingly overnight. But what few knew at the time was that this overnight success had been 10 years in the making. 20 years later, she released her much-anticipated third novel, The Goldfinch. The Goldfinch is named after one of the few surviving paintings by Rembrandt's most promising pupil, Karel Fabritius. Nearly all of Fabritius's works were destroyed in the Delft Explosion of 1654, which also took his life. The painting in question would serve to be one of many elements to inspire one of Donna Tartt's most famous works. Welcome to House of Words, a podcast about writers, authors, and paintings. I am your host, Jason Nemoa Hardin, and today we're exploring Donna Tartt's third novel, The Goldfinch. Goldfinch was first published on September 23, 2013. This synopsis, however, is from the paperback edition released in 2014. Age 13, Theo Decker, son of a devoted mother and an absent father, miraculously survives a catastrophe that otherwise tears his life apart. Alone and rudderless in New York City, he is taken in by the family of a wealthy friend. Theo is tormented by his longing for his mother, and down the years clings to the thing that most reminds him of her, a small, strangely captivating painting that ultimately draws him into the criminal underworld. Quote, I think innocence is something that adults project upon children that's not really there. End quote. Donna Louise Tart was born on December 23, 1963 in Greenwood, Mississippi, located in the esteemed Mississippi Delta. She grew up in the nearby town of Grenada with a younger sister, her secretary mother, Taylor, and her father, Don, a rockabilly musician later turned politician. Both her parents were avid readers and she would find her love of the written word early on. In fact, she doesn't remember a time when she wasn't able to read. Writing came along as quickly and as easily as reading did, and she wrote her first poem by age five. Her first books came around the age of six years old, when she wrote and illustrated pictures on construction paper. She would also cut out pictures from copies of National Geographic Illustrated, most often animals or children in different countries. 
and write stories about said photos. One of her first works featured the famous painting Infanta of Velázquez, also known as Velázquez's Las Meninas. Young Donna, however, wasn't aware that it was a famous image until she was much older. She'd simply cut out a photo of the painting from some children's magazine, pasted it onto paper and wrote the story around it, never having given much thought to it. Only after the completion of The Goldfinch would she reflect on how similar the process of writing the novel was to what she had done as a child. It was the same way of constructing a story. She chose a picture, a painting, and wrote a story more or less around it, just like she'd done when she was six years old. She grew up hearing amazing stories from all sorts of people and would later tell that one of the biggest advantages of growing up in the South with aspirations of becoming a writer was the great oral culture Southerners have of telling stories. This tradition of storytelling, gossiping, and general talking had a profound influence on her. Throughout her upbringing, she learned of stories of magnificent, crazy preachers and their wonderfully strange oratory, as well as a fair share of bizarre dialects. Her own aunt even had a secret language that she attempted to decipher. Despite her effort, she would only ever manage to comprehend bits and pieces. The language was called dot-dot, which meant sister, and her aunt would have entire conversations in this language. As most adults tend to think that children are not listening, she would strategically place herself in order to absorb conversations and stories. One of these strategic locations, in particular when relatives were over at the house, was on the living room floor. There she would lay down with paper and pencils. She would draw and color, but always focusing and listening to what the adults were saying. Donna also had a real gift when it came to mimicking others. She would most often mimic her teacher, a feat much admired and encouraged by her fellow students at school, though not as much by adults when they took notice of this special talent. She also enjoyed answering the phone as if she were someone else, taking delight in managing to properly copy someone else's voice. This helped her take in and remember voices and traits, thus allowing her to create more believable characters in her own work as she grew into authorship. Reading and writing soon became essential to her life, and she would later be quoted saying, You can live many lives by reading books. At age 13, her work was published for the first time, a sonnet which was included in the Mississippi Review of 1976. Around age 14, she would find employment at the local library, something she did not take for granted and would read as much as possible. She took a liking to and devoured 19th century novels, in particular anything by Charles Dickens, whom she would later state she read to such an extent that his works are now more inside of her than outside. In 1981, while a freshman at the University of Mississippi, her writing caught the attention of writer Willie Morris, famous for his prose style and reflections about the American South. Finding a young Donna Tart at a Holiday Inn bar, he approached her and said, I'm Willie Morris, and I think you're a genius. However destined she seemed for authorship, 
writing wasn't always a given. For a period, she considered becoming a painter and then a classical scholar, but soon found that she wasn't good at either. Despite these short diversions, she never considered writing a second choice, rather something she needed to discover. In her teens, she tried her hand at short stories, but never felt that they were right for her. The epiphany, however, would come when she embarked on her first novel. She began writing her debut novel, The Secret History, when she was 19 years old, but she would not see it published until roughly a decade later, in 1992. This, however, was not due to the consequence of her finding it difficult to find a publisher. Rather, it was due to the time-consuming nature of her writing process, and still is. She worked on the novel year after year and often worried about how it would turn out. When it finally was completed, she had no expectations of it becoming a success. But it did, and very much so. She was shocked, but naturally also delighted. With an astonishingly high advance payment for an unknown novelist and the great success of her debut novel, she could now make a living from writing. Quote, the first duty of the novelist is to entertain. It is a moral duty. People who read your books are sick, sad, traveling in the hospital waiting room while someone is dying. Books are written by the alone, for the alone. End quote. The elements that needed to connect in order for the goldfinch to be accomplished were as plentiful as they were varied. The first seeds of the book came to Tarte when she was in Amsterdam on a book tour with her debut novel. Even before she had begun on what would be her second novel, The Little Friend, she was emotionally taken by something in Amsterdam. She found it difficult to put into words exactly what it was that caught her attention. But, as she is prone to do, she jotted down a few loose concepts in her notebook, some of which included the mention of certain streets and locations. The earliest of these notes are dated 1993. In 2003 came another significant element, one that greatly disturbed her. This was the destruction of the ancient sandstone carvings by the Taliban in the Bamiyan Valley of Afghanistan. There was something about the destruction of such a beautiful piece of endangered art that lit a fire in her. A short while later, while on a trip to Las Vegas, one she initially resisted, she found more elements she wanted to include in the story. A story even at this point, she didn't exactly know what it would be. In Vegas, surrounded by fate, chance, and gambling, money coming this way, money going that way, money won and money lost, she also saw money in relation to art, the circulation of dirty money and how it worked in the shadows of the art world. And like that, the concept she had been waiting for came together. When she began writing The Goldfinch, there was a good while when she didn't know exactly what she was writing on, what kind of story it would be. Just like it had been with her two prior books, she knew she had a good starting point and notebooks full of elements that fascinated her. Armed with this, she took the leap. 
She placed her trust in the process and that the elements she wanted to work with would eventually work themselves out on a subconscious level, so she kept on writing. The main concept of the novel would revolve around what the definition of the so-called good life is, whether it is to try to please others, sacrificing elements of your own for the common good, or live a happy, satisfied life, even when it demands selfishness? Is the good life being beautiful, being a good public citizen, being loyal to family, being loyal to work? This was what Donna Tartt wanted to explore. As is well documented, it took her 10 years to complete the novel. This is something she finds to be a strength. After spending such an amount of time with your characters, it becomes impossible to fake them. They take on a depth and a development that she hasn't found one can get any other way. Another strength is that the book is told over a 10-year span. Seeing that it took her the same amount of time to write, it almost works in real time. She was not the same person by the end of the book as she was at the beginning. And the same goes for the protagonist, Theo. She has stated that, just like time enriches the taste of wine, time, she finds, enriches a story. The long process also serves a purpose when we consider that her main characters are teenagers. She likes using teenage characters as they represent a life of possibilities as well as someone who is attempting to figure out the world, their interactions with others, as well as their own understanding of themselves. She feels that it allows the reader to figure out elements of their own lives along with them, which in turn makes for a more fun experience. And for this to be accomplished, time is a necessity. Before settling on the Goldfinch to be the iconic painting of the novel, she actually considered a few others, though never too seriously. The Goldfinch is a tiny painting, and Tart thought it would be a painting that would appeal to a child, i.e., her protagonist. This fact, along with the backstory concerning its painter and how most of his works were lost in the tragedy that took his life, sealed it. It had to be precisely that painting. In the end, she hopes the book will first and foremost be an enjoyable read, a fun adventure, but that the reader is also left with some larger philosophical questions after having read it. For those curious, when it comes to Donna Tartt's own definition of the good life, it is love and work. If one succeeds within these two, one has the good life. Quote, it's hard to find that readerly experience as an adult where you disappear inside a book and the book becomes your whole world and you don't hear your mother calling and you're just galloping through the pages and to really be somewhere else, to have an alternate life and somehow for me that writing about young people is often the spark or has been in the past because it goes back to my childhood reading. End quote. Donna Tartt does not shy away from the fact that writing is as much an escape for her as she hopes it will be for her reader. It is escapism in what could be defined as the most productive of ways. 
What she is searching for, and in turn hopes to provide to the reader, as mentioned in her quote, is the journey she experienced as a child. That galloping, gleeful excitement that comes from not knowing what will happen next. She doesn't want her books to be predictable, which encourages her to try to surprise herself. She feels that if there are no surprises for the writer, there will be no surprises for the reader either. In contrast to many other writers, including writers we have covered on previous episodes, such as Stephen King and Joyce Carol Oates, who have a reputation for writing speedily and amassing great quantities of books, she has found that she doesn't like writing fast. Although, this is not without having tried it out. She once set a goal to complete a book in the span of a year, but she quickly found that she did not enjoy the process. And in keeping with her previous mantra, only slightly altered, no fun for the writer, no fun for the reader, she has followed the path that best suits her and has stated that if she manages to publish five books throughout her career, she will be satisfied. According to her, she writes in a very confusing way. When she first starts on a novel, it doesn't look like a book. There are numerous notes, most of them disorganized and messy. These are the notes that she hopes her subconscious is able to link together into a cohesive story somewhere along the line. It's very much instinctual. It's a feeling that lets her know that she's onto something and that the story works. Even if she doesn't understand it yet, it's a leap of faith and based on the blind trust of her subconscious, and it has yet to disappoint her. Being as her writing process is a lengthy one, she has a designated first reader to critique and help her along. Like with most writers, there are times when hesitation and doubt show more strength than its counterpoints. The feedback from her designated reader is vital as she needs to know what works and what doesn't, and to help her keep going. What she looks for in her work is what she refers to as density and speed. What this entails is the desire to convey all the necessary information needed in order to make the story feel real, but at the same time keep the piece moving along at a rapid pace. The density is the information provided, the details of characters, the tone of people's voices, the intricacies and details of the painting. The speed is how smoothly this information can be conveyed to the reader, hopefully making it feel like it moves along rapidly thus becoming a quote-unquote page-turner. Quite a bit of the time throughout the ten years of writing her novels is consumed by editing and trying and failure. For instance, she once spent eight months on a section of the Goldfinch before reaching the conclusion that it did not work. She would go on to remove the entire section. However, she doesn't see it as a waste of time, as those eight months gave her great insight into the characters, insight she needed in order to figure out other elements of the story that had up until then been inconclusive. Donna Tart writes anywhere, on a bus, a cafe table, in the park, in the library. When she is in writing mode, she doesn't like to go out and meet people. Neither does she like going out at night, and furthermore, finds that sometimes a social engagement in the evening wrecks her day of writing. 
She has a need to know that if the writing is going well, there isn't some engagement that will force her to stop in the middle of the momentum. Because of this, she keeps her schedule as busy with writing as possible. If struggling to find inspiration, she goes for a walk. When in New York, for instance, the inspiration for a character or a location is easily found as most street corners offer a caricature or an iconic location to help loosen up her creativity. For this reason, she finds New York to be a great place to write. Though there are difficult and hard writing days, she states that there is nothing quite like it when the writing is going smoothly, adding that the writer's life has lived up to her wildest dreams and has become something bigger and better than she ever expected. She finds the most satisfying aspect of her life is to be able to daydream all day and is happier than she ever thought she would be. Here's a fun fact about the author. If she is bored, for instance, at the doctor's office, she'll recite the William Butler Yeats poem, Selling to Byzantium, to herself. In an interview from 2014, she proved that she could, in fact, recite it by heart. The Goldfinch was very well received by both critics and readers, both in the U.S. and Europe. Stephen King was one of the more famous writers who gave his praise, referring to Donna Tartt's novel as a smartly written literary novel that connects with the heart as well as the mind. The novel grew in popularity and quickly sold more than one million copies, and in April of 2014, the Goldfinch won the Pulitzer Prize. This, it appears, was the turning point for many critics. The book would spend over 30 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, reach the number one bestseller in both Italy and Finland, and gain great success in several other countries. According to the Oregonian, snooty critics could not allow themselves to like or praise such a popular work of writing, so they dumped on it instead. Regardless of backlash or not, which Donna Tartt herself has most likely never cared to read about, the Goldfinch remains universally praised. Throughout her 30-year-long career, Donna Tartt has been as elusive as she has been iconic, sharply dressed and mysterious. Well-read and intelligent, she stands out from many other contemporary writers. Something that becomes ever more apparent when she chooses to talk to the media, which doesn't happen very often. In our fast-moving world where social media has made modern writers accessible at all times, Tart remains aloof, mysterious. Between books, she doesn't give talks, lectures, or interviews. She doesn't appear on the festival circuit either, which adds to the allure of her mystical persona, though there are practical reasons for this. She simply finds it distracting and would go mad if she had to go on a book tour every two years. She finds her time is better spent being at home, writing and getting on with her work rather than standing on a stage talking about a book. The most she can handle touring is once every decade. As always, I will leave you with one final quote from the author. 
technique is mainly what I care about. It's what keeps me entertained and engaged with my work on a day-to-day -day basis. I think any artist will tell you that, and probably most athletes as well. To be good at anything, whether dance or painting or Olympic diving, you have to be really, really attentive to detail. And you also have to be able to forget about technique in the heat of the moment. You have to know your technique so well that it's second nature, but you never stop trying to refine it. End quote. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and will spread the word about the podcast. Once again, I have been your host, Jason Nemour Hardin. I, along with my fellow producers of this podcast, ask that you please consider making this show easier to produce and more frequent by contributing on our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash house of words. Until next time, keep turning those pages. House of Words is written and produced by Crystal M. Sanchez. Narrated and written by me, Jason Nemore Harden. And music by Creature Nine and Wood. All rights and ownership belong to Crystal M. Sanchez and Jason Nemore Harden. <laughs>